Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, fans, and welcome into the Thursday, March the 7th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, restricted free agent tenders are out. Which players did Miami prioritize? Plus, interest in Dwayne Allen sparked a research piece for LockedOnDolphins.com. We'll touch on the sweeping changes ahead for Chad O'Shea's offense in Miami, plus the Twitter mailbag and interest in Jamie Collins, the linebacker. All of that and a whole lot more. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at WingfulNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and find all of my written work up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the entire LockedOn network. And of course, the other LockedOn Sports family of podcasts like the LockedOn Heat podcast and LockedOn NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And you guys know how this part of the show goes. We have a lot to get to. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. Up first, real quick, before we get into the meat of the episode, the Dolphins tendered a couple of restricted free agents, or I should say four of them, and I separate them into two groups. One group is a couple of players that should be in the Dolphins' long-term plans, at least as far as development and potential Maybe backup is the wrong word for it, but players they hope they can develop as backups and eventually into full-time starters. Now, one of these guys is a full-time starter from 2018, but I didn't think he played well enough to warrant that same position without competition going into 2019. I'm talking, of course, about Jesse Davis, so he'll be back. And defensive end Jonathan Woodard, who I thought was productive at times in 2018 and is probably a better scheme fit in the upcoming defense that we assume Brian Flores will import to Miami compared to what it was last year. And then there's a pair of players that, for my money, I don't really know what you can expect from them going forward. Isaac Asiata was incredibly raw, didn't have any refinement to his technique coming out of college out of Utah. But when he actually got it right, he played with so much power and bullied people on the offensive line. But of course, the face paint, the long hair, all the fun theatrics are kind of what made Isaac Asiata as popular as he was among Dolphins fans because in the limited preseason work and the fact that he hasn't cracked the roster late in the year when the Dolphins have all these offensive line issues, whether it's injuries or poor performance, he couldn't crack the lineup. And a big part of that was because in the preseason, At times, it looked like he was going to get David Fells or Brock Osweiler or whoever it might have been behind him killed because of poor pass protection and a complete lack of ability to pick up stunts, twists, and other games. The defensive line runs. And then also on the offensive line, three out of the four guys on this list, offensive linemen, Zach Stirrup, the offensive tackle, who got some action late in 2017 and had a really rough go in the Buffalo game. I thought his preseason tape once again was rough. And then he got some action in place of Jawan James this year, again in 2018. Again, did not go well for him there. So the Dolphins tender those four players, and they should be back. I don't assume anybody else will make offers on those players. And other news from other teams dropping players, Jamie Collins is now a free agent as the Browns free up about $7.5 million worth of cap space. And... The argument over whether or not Collins will be a piece the Dolphins look at in the upcoming offseason 
has been bandied about both on Twitter and Dolphins forums alike. And I contend that the Dolphins will be interested in Collins as long as the price is right. Number one, he fits the comp formula signing idea that it doesn't impact the Dolphins' ability to gain compensatory picks after losing free agents and not signing big price free agents of their own to bring into Miami. He's a scheme fit, although the argument could be made, I believe our buddy Kevin Dern said this on Twitter, that he could be end up playing the exact same position that Jerome Baker plays, so it might be redundant in that idea. But the production was always there for him in New England. The idea that he might have been cut because of freelancing and not being the best studious player would be a huge red flag if that's true. And I don't dispute that it is true. I believe it probably is true. But for the most part, I think the biggest reason the Patriots moved on was because he was set for a massive payday that they were never going to pay him. The Patriots just do not operate that way, especially at linebacker. And this team has always been strong up the middle, talking about the Patriots, whether you go to the center position. And Dan Coppin for years, David Andrews now at defensive tackle between Vincent Wilfork, at linebacker with Teddy Bruschi and Gerard Mayo and Brandon Spikes and Dante Hightower, Jamie Collins, at safety, Devin McCourty and Rodney Harrison. Those are the premium positions the Patriots intend to keep, and that's why you often see outside linebackers or defensive ends or wide receivers shake free out of New England because those positions are just not prioritized, and Jamie Collins was set to make a huge contract because he really flourished in New England despite the fact that he might have freelanced. I think Miami will kick the tires on him and see if they can get him for the price for the right price, rather, and that part will be an obstacle, but I do believe they'll be interested in that. And as far as it pertains to the idea that this team wants to tank or lose games, we need to stop thinking in that in that mentality because the truth is, what the tank really means is that the Dolphins just aren't maybe going to go all in on a quarterback right away, and they might punt on the idea and address the quarterback next year, but that does not mean they're going to stop themselves from acquiring quality players that can be part of the long-term plan, and Jamie Collins would be in that same mold as a guy that you figure would be on the team for three, four, maybe even more years than just the immediate future, and this defense has a chance if they can add pieces in the next two years I do believe it's a two-year process, not going to happen overnight. But this defense, if they do it right in the next two off-seasons with this depth on the defensive line, with the depth in the second round of the secondary in this draft class, with the safety market being what it is, there are opportunities for this Dolphins defense under Brian Flores and strong, strong tutelage on that side of the football to really, really have a chance to build a big-time defense in Miami. I do believe this team will be built through the defense, through the running game, and then drop the quarterback in that way. So why prohibit yourself from adding pieces this year just because you want to lose more games to get higher up the draft board? For a quarterback, you might not even get a chance to select next year in the 2020 draft. So the tank idea, we have to stop thinking that way. There is a creative way to manipulate the system to get yourself closer to that quarterback, whether it's acquiring more draft picks, but refusing to sign good players that are interested in joining your program. That will not work out for anybody at any time in any level of football. Okay, coming up here next on the other side of the ads break, the safety position has been something that has been a misunderstanding for Dolphins fans going back to last year when I was so adamant about Derwin James or Minka Fitzpatrick. And coming up next here on the podcast, get ready to misunderstand the offense too. I'll discuss why big changes are coming to the Dolphins offense here next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins.
We teased it in the first segment of the podcast here on a Thursday, March the 7th on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. But just going over the simple play usage, player usage rather, package usage of the New England Patriots and assuming that Chad O'Shea, Brian Flores, Jerry Shaplinsky, all these new coaches will bring some of the same mentality down to Miami with them from the Patriots. We can only ascertain that certain aspects of those teams will come down to Miami to join this Dolphins team and really change the makeup of it in general. And the idea behind this article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, it's titled Sweeping Offensive Changes on the Horizon in Miami. The inspiration was the Dwayne Allen interest piece and trying to think about how the percentages of snap counts have been delineated throughout the course of the recent years under Chad O'Shea or Josh McDaniels, whoever the person you want to attribute for their offensive success or the staff as a whole, the idea is that their offensive schemes and philosophies and principles are way different than what Adam Gase has ran in Miami. And I think you can pick apart two things that Dwayne Allen might signal for this team. Number one, the Dolphins are not complacent with the current statuses of Mike Kosicki and Durham Smythe. Or two, the new offensive scheme is going to ask tight ends to be used in an entirely different fashion, thus the need for a third capable player at the position. And I believe that both of those are most likely going to be true for the Dolphins going forward. And if you guys haven't checked out sharpfootball.com, you definitely should. He does a great job compiling all these different personnel packages and uses It's really just a great source for all things football. And if you're a big time football fan of this kind of stuff, and if you listen to this podcast, let's be honest, you totally are, then it's a great source for you. But just looking at the way the Patriots have used their personnel groupings on offense compared to Miami, compared to the NFL average across the league, there's some big differences. And 11 personnel is one running back, one tight end, three receivers. That's been the Dolphins' bread and butter since Adam Gaze was the head coach. They ran that 62% of the time in 2018, though I think that number is low because of substitutions based upon the rash of injuries the Dolphins had at the wide receiver position in 2018. It was normally a lot higher than that. The Patriots only ran it 43% of the time, and that was only lower than about five or six teams in the NFL. The NFL average is 50 Now you go to 12 personnel, the package that I claimed the Dolphins needed to run all year long, it seemed like last year, asking for more tight ends, get Ryan Tannehill in play action, doing that kind of stuff that made him successful in 2016. Well, the Patriots ran at 3% of their plays last year in NFL low. The Dolphins were at 7%, also pretty close to the low. NFL average 20%, way off that mark there. 22 personnel is where things get crazy. The Dolphins never ran that package one time, which I kind of disagree with because I do recall a few plays. It was probably less than 1%, and that's why Warren Sharp didn't put it up there. But I do recall some plays with Kalen Balaj and Frank, or Kalen Balaj and Kenyon Drake, or Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore, or even Brandon Bolden getting some run out there. But the Patriots ran this package 36% of the time. And of course, that all leads into James Devlin as a fullback. The Dolphins at 0%, NFL average 11%. And then the interesting fact dovetailing off of that is that the Patriots ran 13 personnel, 0%. So they never had three tight ends on the field. They would go with the fullback or extra offensive lineman. The Dolphins ran at 6%. NFL average was at 5%. 
And so while you have some of these offensive juggernauts that really subscribe to the traditional 11 personnel set, and when I say traditional, I mean recent traditions as things are kind of shaking out towards a passing lead with three receivers on the field at all times, the Patriots and the Saints are two of the teams that have zagged while everybody else continues to zig. And that makes sense because who's more Who's more innovative than Bill Belichick and Sean Payton? But the Patriots and Saints have two of the best quarterbacks, which make that interesting because you would assume that those types of packages come into play only to protect a quarterback that might not be as good, much in the way Adam Gaze kind of did with Ryan Tannehill his first year when the offense didn't click around the original scheme of the spread it out, hurry it up offense. But the Patriots and Saints want to condense the field and create matchups, and that's what it takes when you involve the running backs in the passing game because we've seen James White catch 13 passes in a Super Bowl game. We've seen Alvin Kamara take over what was already a high-flying offense in New England, and the Patriots ran 54% of their plays from under center compared to Miami's 34% in 2018. So a huge discrepancy there. Two running backs, obviously a big reason for that. The heavy-based run offense, a big part of that. But just the idea that from this, we can glean that sweeping changes could be coming to the Miami offense from a personnel standpoint. Look at the way they used the running backs in 2018. Kenyon Drake was a 60% player. Frank Gore was a 35% player. And then Kalen Balazs got 10%. But most of that came once Frank Gore went on IR. The Patriots, on the other hand, used James White 53% of the time, right in line with Kenyon Drake. James Devlin 35% of the time, right in line with Frank Gore. But then you have Sony Michelle for 28% and Rex Burkhead for 13%. So they use a multitude of backs in different ways in the passing game as lead blockers, as the wildcat back, as the jet motion sweep guy. Running backs, that's going to be the focus of the offense and where everything funnels through on this new Dolphins offense. You can expect that, and that's why we have to add backs to a already somewhat impressive combination of Kalen Balage and Kenyon Drake in 2019. And then you look at other positions, and there's discrepancies there as well. Under Gaze, the Dolphins wanted to run basically the same three receivers every single play, and that was very true in 2017 when guys were more healthy, Kenny Stills, Jarvis Landry, and Devontae Parker to some degree. Those guys were the three ones that were on the field most of the time, and Leontay Carew would just come in for Devontae Parker when he was injured. But in 2018, more injuries kind of changed that philosophy as Kenny Stills and Danny Amendola, when healthy, were 90% players. Albert Wilson trending in that direction, but not entirely. He basically forced Adam Gase to play him more because he was so damn good. And Jakeem Grant was kind of the same vein there, more of a gadget player, but on track for 60% of the offensive workload. The Patriots were different. They used guys in a variety of ways and kind of lined them up like a basketball team. You're my point guard. You're my possession receiver. You're my big guy down the middle of the field. Whatever it was, they had different guys doing different things to satisfy different needs of the offense. And at tight end, the discrepancy there is really strange because Miami used Mike Gusecki and Nick O'Leary both right around 40% of the offensive snaps. Durham Smythe was 19% and A.J. Derby was 13.5%. Whereas the Patriots basically said, Rob Gronkowski's our guy of healthy. We're going to only play him. He was out there 75% of the time, but of course he missed some games with injuries. And Dwayne Allen played 32.6% of those snaps, 
basically his direct backup and getting out there for some of those 12 personnel packages that were so rare for New England. And then Jacob Hollister, the third tight end, they only played three tight ends all year. Hollister played 5% of the snaps. So what all of that means to me is that Mike Gusecki, Durham Smythe, and Nick O'Leary are the top three tight ends on the roster right now. And I'm just not quite sure if all of them can make the roster in 2019 because Dwayne Allen or another tight end that might be better or better suit those needs could come in and supplant any of those guys that really, frankly, right now don't have a great leg to stand on outside of what Nick O'Leary did in 2018. All right, we're going to come back here on the other side of the podcast and get to your Twitter questions here on the final segment. We're doing two Twitter mailbags this week because I can never get to all the questions. So next, we'll jump into the mailbag here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. A special Thursday mailbag edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast on the horizon because I never get to all your guys' questions and I feel bad because there's so many good questions out there. And if I'm being totally honest, it's not easy to come up with five days worth of content at all times, though granted I'm always thinking about different ideas for the podcast and I'd wind up finding stuff eventually, but you guys write some great content for me, so... I'll use you in that way if I can, but if I'm going to do that, I have to answer all the questions. So let's go ahead and jump right in here to the first question I see that's football related, and it comes from El Cid Ciento 33 He's at Skip underscore 1951. If you had to guess which player is the surprise cut by the Dolphins, and that's really a great question because, frankly, it's a perfect dovetail off the previous segment talking about the tight end group, and Big Mike replies to that saying, Kiko... That might be a surprise. I, to me, it wouldn't be. I think it's a no-brainer to cut Kiko Alonso. But for me, the surprise cut's going to be Nick O'Leary just based on a numbers game. I know he was the best tight end last year, but I think that was more a function of Adam Gaze and what he wanted to do compared to the scouting staff that obviously loved Durham Smythe and Mike Gesicki. We know the Patriots loved Gesicki last year as well. I think both of those guys will be viewed as long-term projects to get developed, to get them up to playing speed, to be contributors long-term for this team. Whereas Nick O'Leary, if they sign a Dwayne Allen or draft like a Drew Sample, the blocking tight end out of Washington, then Nick O'Leary basically becomes redundant in the offense and they can move on from him. So that would be my surprise cut. Nick O'Leary. Next question here comes from Jake Steenholt. He's at Jake Steenholt. What are your thoughts on Easton Stick, the quarterback out of North Dakota State? If I'm being totally honest, I haven't watched a lot of Easton Stick and a friend of the podcast, Chris Kaufman, CK Parrot on Twitter. He loves, loves, loves him some Easton Stick. And I really admire the hell out of CK because he always, he always finds a way to get these low-level prospects that he falls in love with and talks about them and breaks their play down at a rate that really nobody else will do. So I very, very much so admire that about his approach to trying to uncover some guys that aren't well-known in the scouting communities. But frankly, I watched his game against Eastern Washington in the in the Division II playoffs or whatever that level of football is called, the FCS, I think it is. And I thought that he just didn't really show the requisite traits to be an NFL quarterback. Now, of course, he does have elite escapability, which I think is a big deal in today's NFL. But the fact that he wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl That was a big red flag to me because a lot of guys go to the Senior Bowl that are not good players, like Trace McSorley, for instance, and to not get an invite over McSorley, even though he played at Penn State, a big-time football program, 
that to me signals a not great sign as far as how he's viewed in the scouting community. And I have to believe that he'll be a day three pick somewhere. If they want to take a chance on him, I'm for it. I just wouldn't really get my hopes up that he's ever going to develop into anything more than maybe a backup or practice squad level quarterback. So I don't have that high of thoughts of Easton Stick. Drew Smith, the next question, at Drew at DRWW Smith, is there a free agent you're worried the Dolphins will make an offer for, someone you wouldn't want on the team that would cost too much? Not really, because I think the one guy that could fit that category would be Trey Flowers, even though he'd be a tremendous fit in the scheme and the defense. I just don't think they're going to go out and spend a lot of money on guys like that that are not scheme fits, that are free agents on the open market that were not previously cut, and I just think they're going to change their approach in that way compared to what it was in the past of going out and spending big on the free agents. So basically, my answer to that is no, I'm not that concerned. Next question from Mr. Stubborn. He is at Abduarte underscore one. With the amount of holes Miami has to fill, what is the one position you could see Miami not drafting for? Which position gets left out? I'll have two picks for this one, and I think it's because of what the Patriots have done to develop talent at these spots, and if we are again to assume that the Patriot model comes south to Miami, then we can ascertain that that will be the approach with the Dolphins. And number one, if they do not bring back Jawan James then I think they won't place too high of a priority on the right tackle position because, as I talked about in the previous segment, they've always valued guys up the middle of the field. And the tackles, I mean, they've gotten by with LaAdrian Waddle. They've gotten by with Marcus Cannon before he became a good player. And they got by with Trent Brown last year, who was not a good player before he got to New England. So I would say tackle if Jawan James gets away but also the second cornerback position just because they believe Josh Boyer has always turned undrafted guys into gems since he's been with the Patriots. So cornerback and offensive tackle. Next question here comes from Haggy at Hagler underscore Matt. If your show had to get absorbed by Finsiders, three yards per carry or fourth and inches, which show would you choose? I'm not going to answer that, man. Come on. I can't start podcast wars. All of those guys do great work. I love all of those guys on Twitter and everywhere else they produce content. The more Dolphins podcasts we have, the better. So keep doing your thing. All three of those shows. Love them all. Next question here comes from Terry Welch. He is at FinFan for Life. Which third to fifth round graded quarterback prospect would you most like to see Miami take a flyer on in this year's draft? Or do you punt completely on this year's class? I do lean towards punting more just because... I believe that taking quarterbacks in that area basically means you want to develop them as a potential backup quarterback. You basically only get star quarterbacks in the first round and legit level starters in the second round. And then from there, it's just a grab bag of basically guys that aren't going to have much of a future in the NFL. But if I had to pick two, it would be Jarrett Stidham out of Auburn and Tyree Jackson out of Buffalo because, and I've gone over this on the podcast, that I believe you want to take guys that are great balls of clay that you can possibly mold into high-functioning quarterbacks at that portion of the draft. Both those guys have big arms. Tyree Jackson's a great athlete, even though he's definitely a little bit gangly as far as being six foot seven. But I think both those guys could have their best football ahead of them. And if you can develop them, they'd be worth a flyer later on. So I'd take one of those guys, maybe Jackson, like in the sixth round, if he's available. Definitely have to acquire more picks for me to feel comfortable about it, though. Okay, let's get two more here. Next one comes in from John Hankinson. He's at RPO underscore Jonathan. Should the Dolphins see if Chad Kelly is worth a cheap signing? No. I've talked a lot about the high character classification. These guys are really pushing as far as Brian Flores and Chris Greer and all that fun stuff. I don't think that Chad Kelly even comes close to that because the guy's just kind of, he's just kind of a turd off the field. And I never thought he was that great of a player to begin with. 
Next question here from Dan S at Danny underscore hands. Do you think your unwavering support and praise of Tannehill hurts your credibility on football as a whole? No. I mean, seriously, I mean, there's scouts out there that whiff on players all the time. So why should I have to say that one player I missed was that takes away all my credit as a diligent hard worker that studies film and puts out all this content to show you guys what we can expect going forward. I mean, nobody predicts football 100%. Nobody predicts football at 52% because that's what it takes to be a successful gambler in Vegas. And anybody that bets football long-term knows that you're probably going to lose over the long term. And I wouldn't say I had unwavering support and praise. I was just telling you the functionality he had in this offense under Adam Gase and where he could be successful. And he started off the season pretty good the first three games. Then he got hurt and it all fell apart and he couldn't overcome his mental shortcomings when he was injured and couldn't run the ball as well as he normally does and couldn't drive the ball as well as he normally does. So no, and that's a dumb question. That's a clown question, bro. Next question here comes from... Melody Mackey, the last one we're going to get to. He is at AKA Manimal. After the combine, who is your favorite player in this draft? It's Kyler Murray. I mean, it always has been, but I think you want a different answer than that. So I'll go with safety Jonathan Abram out of Mississippi State. Just because his combine and the highlights I saw flashed on the screen forced me to go back and watch more of his tape and just watching him take people's heads off as a safety back there patrolling. He has no regard for his body and for how fast and loose and wild he plays, he doesn't really miss tackles or miss aim his shots. He plays in control at that speed and I think that's a great combination for a safety in this league. So Mississippi State's Jonathan Abram. Okay, if you did not hear your question answered on today's podcast, tune in tomorrow. We'll get to the rest of them. Unless you ask me a risque question, and Travis Bunk, you know I love you, buddy, but you know I cannot answer that question on the podcast. But the rest of them, we will get to it. Even Jason Harina's insect or fish question, the lead staff editor on LockedOnDolphins.com. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. If you guys have a smart speaker, you can tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull it up right away. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.